Welcome to Language Made Difficult, a charismatic part of the SpecGram podcast. I'm Trey Jones, and this Linguistics Roundtable Telesymposium is coming to you from our virtual conference center, hosted via satellite uplink from a boulangerie in Paris. Joining me today are the rest of the Ling nerds, Sherry Wells-Jensen. Hi there. Bill Sproul. Hey. And Keith Slater. Great to be with you. Let's start off with some lies, damn lies, and linguistics. I've got three language-related items. Two are true, and one is false. You guys have to figure out which is which, and after you make your overly educated guesses, we will discuss. The theme this time is crazy body counting systems. Item number one. In Onge, spoken in the Andaman Islands, there are different numbers for counting your steps depending on whether you start walking with your left foot or your right foot. Item number two. In the base 20 counting system of Nahuatl, spoken in Mexico, the word for 400, which is 20 squared, means hair. Number three. Alan Black, spoken in Papua New Guinea, uses a body counting system, but men and women count differently because women count on their breasts while men do not. All right, who wants to go first? I can do a go at it. I think number two is true because that sounds about right for Nahuatl. And I seem to remember something about 400 measuring some astronomical cycle of the planet Venus or something, which factors into the palindrical system. So that probably is right there. That leaves either Onga or Alan Black being the false statement. And the Onga one sounds more bizarre, but I'm going to think that's Trey trying to fake us out. So I'll say number three is the false one. Okay, who's next? I'll disagree with Bill. The Onge one, it would, I suppose, be theoretically possible to have different numbers for counting, depending on whether you started with your left foot or your right foot, except that nobody alternates feet. Everybody starts with the same foot every time. It's really hard to start counting on a different foot, right? Start walking on a different foot. So that can't be true. The word for 400 in Nahuatl, which also means hair, that's a reasonable estimate for how many hairs you've got if you're an amateur hair counter. So it seems like 400 and hair ought to be about the same. The Alan Black one, I actually have a little doubt about because, so Trey, you said women count on their breasts and men don't, right? I would have thought it was the nursing babies who counted on the breasts. But in any case, whatever this is supposed to mean, I think it's probably true. And I'm going to go with number one as the false one. All right. Sherry? I am in the unfortunate position of agreeing with Keith, I think. And unless I talk myself out of it <laughs> in the next few minutes, which I might. Okay, I like number two because it's all conline-y. That just seems like something that you would make up to be groovy. And so I want that one to be true. Besides, 20 squared is great. That's a really good idea. And if it's false, I'm going to steal it and use it without citing trade, because I'll pretend like that didn't happen. And if it's true, I'm going to use it for this public domain. So I'm going with number two being true, though, because that way I don't have to steal that idea from Trey to stick it in the conline. Um, I think number three is true, because I don't think Trey would make that up. I don't know why. And I never can keep track of if I start walking with left and right foot. I, I just think that's silly. That's just too silly to be true. So I think number one is the false one. Okay. That's that's right. <laughs> yeah, I know. Give us I the know. Point. Yes, exactly. For a different reason, though. <laughs> you were right, Keith, but you were right for the wrong set of reasons. Just a minute. You haven't heard the explanation. <laughs> I was just thinking a person who always starts on their left foot would count with a particular number. Uh-uh. <laughs> How often do you count your steps anyway? <laughs> Tell us the answer. All right. Well, that's another reason for that to be wrong, because people don't count steps anyway. So why should there even be a thing for that? It's Why would there be numbers for counting your steps, right? It just doesn't make any sense. Okay, so the first one is, in fact, false, which is good news for everybody but Bill. Aha! <laughs> I did make that one up. 
The second one is true. The word for 400, which is 20 squared in a 20-base counting system, is also the same as the word for hair. Is that accidental? or I don't know. It has to do with Venus, obviously. <laughs> Can you do some research for these in the future, Trey? No. <laughs> the third one about the body counting system is true, and men and women do count differently in Alan Black. I guess they count on their fingers and then they move up the arms and count different numbers. And women count on their breasts and men don't. In a, another language of Papua New Guinea called Yopno, men also count differently because they use their naughty bits for three more numbers, the details of which are left as an exercise for the reader. <laughs> that is also Thank really timelangy. That's just awesome. <laughs> so let's move on to the matter of the scores. I'd rather not. So there's terrible news for me, which is that I'm now tied in last place with Keith <laughs> at 45%. Oh, that's not terrible news. I said for me. <laughs> Sherry has maintained in first place, has moved up to two-thirds. She's got 67% correct. And Bill is still doing better than Chance with 55%. This bump, Bill. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I should have figured out the Andaman Island one was false because... There aren't many languages spoken on the Andaman Islands, but... That really is a language that really is spoken there. Oh, well, I don't know whether I feel better or worse now. <laughs> I always <laughs> use the names of real languages and the fact I make up and try to you know, say where they're from, so it's a real thing. <sighs> anyway. Thanks for that hint. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, at least. <laughs> I guess that's it for Lies, Damn Lies, and Linguistics. We'll be right back with some linguistic news right after this commercial. Language Made Difficult is brought to you by Field Data Clearinghouse. The world's largest linguistic data collection is now available for private purchase. We must liquidate our enormous stock of unpublished field notes for literally hundreds of languages. Don't miss this unique opportunity to harvest the fruits of others' labor. Write to Field Data Clearinghouse. Attention, Arlene. P.O. Box 1991, Butte, Montana. Welcome back to Language Made Difficult. We will now share with you some important breaking science in the field of linguistics. And I should tell you that, you know, sometimes a particular segment on the news comes with a warning to listeners about explicit content or some kind of explicit descriptive violence or something like that. Something so the sensitive can sort of turn the radio down or stick their fingers in their ears and go la 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 when they need to. And this segment may contain for some of you extreme ick factor, sort of like fingernails on a chalkboard or that blanket in the mouth between the teeth thing, which I think is worse than fingernails on the chalkboard. I will warn you when that's going to happen. So if you are of a sensitive nature, you can, in fact, stick your fingers in your ears and go la 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 and count to five and then take them out and then rejoin us and just be brave for the rest of it. There's only one really super icky part, I think. This article from Slate Magazine by Matthew J.X. Malady deals with the socially important topic of word aversion, which I do not have, and so I feel free to mock everyone who does. So that's part of the warning that I should probably give you. The phenomenon <laughs> is, it's like a word phobia. It's a powerful, mindless, senseless aversion, which doesn't make any sense to me, so mock, 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 to a word or phrase, and it's to the sight or to the sound of the word or phrase. So you can even read it, and you get this icky feeling. It's not a prescriptivist thing. And it's not because the thing is overly trendy. It's not because it bothers you. It's not like like that like like thing like that the like like thing might like really like like bother you or like up talk and that like might really bother you too. Um, but like it's not like that. So we don't like have to like worry about that because that's like not what we're talking about. So 
it's also not bad grammar. It's not about your prescriptivist confession, which we love, but that's not what this is. It's not a misused word. It's not a malapropism. It's not like that explanation point, which really irritates me, but we could talk about that later. It's not your pet peeve. And even though all of that is really annoying, this is more visceral than that. It's sort of like word hate. Those of you who have this will recognize immediately that the biggest offender, wait for it, is moist. As in Monty Python, you might, someone might cry out to you, we are the knights who say moist. <laughs> and that, I guess, <laughs> will flatten people. I don't know. I saw this big list of these offender words. And so I thought I would see what would happen to people if we gathered all those words together into sort of this quasi grammatical sentence. So this is where if you are a weak soul, you should really stick your fingers in your ears for just a minute while I utter this sentence, if I can. Don't say the word. <laughs> a cornucopia of fudge oozes from the moist crevices of his slacks onto the squab's brainchild and mucus, because you have to have mucus in there. <laughs> That's my new favorite sentence. <laughs> So even though that sounded icky in a kind of a number of ways, like the moist crevices of slacks, I don't know, that sounds sort of icky, but it's not supposed to be about the unsavory semantic content because there are things like brainchild and cornucopia and squab in there, which don't, as far as I know, have any unsavory content, or if they do, I don't travel in those circles, I don't know. There's something yet to be determined about the phonotactics or maybe these complex consonant clusters in the onsets of the syllables. And I'm sure that studying the structure would provide some important and possibly groundbreaking insights into linguistic theory. And so I thought maybe I would ask you, Trey, what you'd noticed about the really important linguistic knowledge that we could gain from a really close study of this phenomenon. Well, first I have to say the whole biting the blanket thing just really has set my teeth on edge. That's just, why did you <laughs> have to mention that? <laughs> this sorry. is a linguistics program. You talk about language. Oh, that's Because I don't have the moist, 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 moist thing. And I was trying to sort of be with Oh, that's horrible. I didn't really read the article because I thought it was about Microsoft Word and just assumed everyone with a brain had an aversion to Microsoft Word. But now that I know what we're talking about, like Sherry, I don't really have this at all. I've always thought this was pretty weird. So I wouldn't be surprised if linguists are more likely to be immune to this, less likely to be annoyed by this kind of thing, just because they have more introspective view of language. As I was saying, I really don't have these word aversions either, but I do find some intentional and unintentional variations on speech to be like fingernails on a chalkboard or blankets between your teeth. We've previously discussed my aversion to motherese which I hate baby talk. Though when people use baby talk on animals or even worse on other adults, that drives me batty. Note to self. Okay, now that's good information to have. Thank you, Trey. <laughs> There's certain near-miss pronunciations, like people who say etc. with a K instead of a T. That drives me crazy or for all intensive purposes. And that, that really gets my goat. And it's kind of funny because especially for all intensive purposes, part of my brain is like, ooh, folk etymology. That's very cool. But uh, the other part of my brain is screaming, die, heathen, die. <laughs> I don't know. I found myself wondering when I was reading this, if you could induce this phenomenon, even in linguists. Like if we picked one of these words, not something potentially icky, like mucus, right. but slacks was the one that I just found quite astonishing. So if we keep saying slacks, if I just kept on saying, hey, slacks, 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 
can we make it happen for someone that doesn't have it without electric shock or anything like that? One of the things in the article was that somewhere down in the buried in the text here, they were suggesting that some of this might be PR driven, right? So people come out with public pronouncements about not liking words like moist, and then other people sort of pick it up through however these things spread. So yeah, you should be able to induce it. So you're talking about using some kind of negative reinforcement, so sort of slacks and violence <laughs> routine on people. But I don't think linguists are necessarily immune to this. I don't have any word aversion as far as I can tell. I do have voice quality aversions, though, which I would regard as completely irrational. There's absolutely no reason to have an aversion to particular voice qualities, but I cannot listen to Bob Dylan at all. So it, it hurts. It, it is disgusting. I remember being young and hearing him on the, the radio and wondering why they kept letting him do that and hurt people. You know, it's like, why doesn't someone punch that man and make him stop? And if I listen to somebody else sing his music, I like it. It's just something about his voice quality, and it's not under conscious control. And I know it's ridiculous, but I have that reaction. Although, apparently, the word aversion is probably learned. It certainly isn't as much of a kind of fad issue as just having certain opinions or liking certain kinds of art forms. If you really could induce this, a good experiment would be to take words that are considered to be particularly beautiful in English. I think we've discussed before the fact that cellar door is, is on somebody's, somebody years ago came up with that as the most beautiful phrase in the English language. And if we could get people to, you know, spread the word that cellar door is unpleasant and, you know, gives you the heebie jeebies and see if we could through social media and see if we could get people to find it offensive and develop a word aversion. I think that would be pretty good evidence for this. So we should all go mm. forth and tweet, I hate the word cellar door. I just, ew, ew, ew. Hashtag awful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there may be some related material, too. I noticed Slate, after doing the word aversion thing, they have been going on kind of a run of focusing on people's disgust and aversion reactions. So they did several articles on mayonnaise, <laughs> because apparently this is sort of the food equivalent of word aversion. Those also focused on kind of a learning component, because infants don't have food-discussed reactions to anything. That's one of the reasons infants have a high-maintenance cost to them. They will try to eat everything, <laughs> right? It's probably something kind of related whether it's the food or the words or something. It's just something about the social value of that signifier produces this reaction. Hmm. <laughs> when you said mayonnaise, I have a friend who's highly averse to mayonnaise. And I was thinking about the, you know, what qualities of it that would make you not like it so much. And one of them is there's this notion of mouthfeel, which is just how it, you know, rolls around on your in your mouth mm -hmm. and, and feels in your tongue and stuff. And I've heard people don't like the word meal. And I was thinking about that, and I realized that when you say that the dark L in meal, it makes the soft bits of my throat sort of move in the same way that they do right before you throw up. So not everyone would be going, meal, meal. Meal, cellar door. So if you go, yeah, that's right. If you did cellar door, then it'd be, cellar door. 
for things with L's in it like that, I wonder if there's some sort of unconscious association with just that physical movement that is similar to vomit. But why not kneel then? Kneel and kneel. Shouldn't they be the same? I would think so. Again, I don't have any of these aversions, so I can't. Well, moist has an M in it, right? So maybe M's are bad for some reason. Well, so does so. mama and ma. Children seem to say those a lot. Only because they don't have a choice. Well, that's a point. And we don't, we just talked about how children aren't averse to anything when they start. That's a, that's a point. Right. That's, that's actually a good thing. Cause if you grow up in a place where the only thing available to eat is rotting seal blubber, you gotta learn to like rotting seal blubber. So. Gotta go with it. Yeah. I mean, slacks. Come on. <laughs> what's wrong with slacks? You've got slacks and fudge. I mean, I get things like pus and vomit and, right. you know, but what about fudge? Come on. Fudge. Cornucopia is rather baffling. Brainchild? Though I was slightly offended by Sherry's pronunciation of cornucopia because I don't have the, the mm-hmm. yuh like after the yuh? N. No. No, no. Cornucopia. And again, that gives you that same sort of feeling. In yeah, your, I don't either. In your throat. Cornucopia. You poor yod forsaken Midwesterners. I'm from Houston. It's not Planet Houston. It's Houston, and I say human. Cornucopia? I mean, how do you get away with something? Yeah, cornu? Cornucopia. New? I don't have an ooh, I have a schwa there. Oh, corna. Cornucopia. Cornucopia. Maybe it's the pia. Maybe it's the pia. They don't like the pia. I think a cornucopia would be like a giant pile of corn. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's cornutopia. (laughs) You know, there's a corn palace in South Dakota. And I bet yeah. they have a cornucopia. Oh, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. They would have to. I will go shut them down if they don't. They must. It's necessary. It's a great place. I've been there. <laughs> That's a Midwesterner for you. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I wonder if these things really are, though, in many cases, semantically motivated. Because I think, you know, when you're talking about the moist crevices in your slacks uh, for which you need an ointment, that is pretty <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> But, you know, like a moist muffin, a moist cupcake, that kind of moist is lovely and delicious and needs to have butter applied in the case of uh, muffins, <laughs> which only makes it better. A lot of the lists did seem to be things that are sort of inherently gross. And I wonder if people are thinking of sort of the wrong application of the word moist, which is making them find that word unpleasant. Or corn. I would think that's it. Yeah, I would think there's connotations going on for people. They seem to say, well, these aversions are completely divorced from any actual usage of the word, but that's not very likely, is it? I can see brainchild because I'm I'm actually morally opposed to the concept of a brainchild. You should have an idea. You don't need to have a brainchild. I guess you could, you, could, <laughs> you could gather together a little cornucopia of reasons and rules that would account for all of these things, right? Couldn't you? Because it's not all icky words. I mean, this is a family show, right? So we can't make a list of all the icky, disgusting words and all the body part words that do not appear on this list. So, so, so only some of them. It would be a project. Maybe a later night project in this particular project we have here. Well, in principle, if part of it is physiological, it's related to articulator movements or acoustic properties or something, then we're faced with the possibility that we've only got a very small fraction of the possible data because... All the languages that had a lot of words that were inherently disgusting died out. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that could explain what happened to the Neanderthals. <laughs> oh, yeah. Too many ick words. They, should, they, they all sounded like Bob Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> 
There's also an NPR reporter who does that to me, who I, whenever I hear her voice, I have to hold on tight. And I wish I knew the word for her voice quality that makes me want to, I would rather stick a blanket in my mouth, honest to God. <laughs> listen, oh. it's just so awful. <laughs> so then I also have to ask myself if we're talking about, because when I first saw this word, I automatically pronounce it Kravis because that's what we do at our house for fun. We say crevices. Mm. And that sounds ickier to me than just crevice. I don't know. It does. It's kind of the opposite of moist. <laughs> Somehow well, a, a crevice would be larger than a crevice. <laughs> Absolutely. It's that principle of iconicity with the vowels, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It's deeper. I'm not getting fudge, though. Fudge is a universally good word. I don't get that. Yeah. I can't see that. Oh. I can't see that either. I just think of a little a little dense block of chocolate. It's like, oh, what's not to like? So my partner has this ja thing. He doesn't like words that begin with ja, 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 ja. So maybe it's fudge. Maybe it's the ja that people don't like. Some people do use it as a euphemism when cursing. Maybe <laughs> at an early age, you could form an association with that if your parents keep saying, oh, fudge. If it's phonologically based, I mean, if you have an aversion to ja, maybe that's because of phoneme frequency, right? That's not a proper phoneme in English. <laughs> Then judge should be worse, and mudge should also be bad if mudge is a word. A mudge is that one dog, right, in that one book. Right. I think judge is bad for most people, isn't it? I mean, that's got other connotations that, you know, people want to avoid. Right. The only people who would like the word judge are lawyers who want to become judges, but since they're exactly. generally disliked, yeah. You know, talking about why certain other words don't have that same offensive sense to them. Uh, it may actually be go back to the frequency, the idea of frequency, right? I mean, I think people may talk about meals more often than they talk about kneeling, to get back to Sherry's example. Oh, and cornucopia really works with that. <laughs> I said for some. <laughs> a, factor. a factor. A factor. And the problem with cornucopia is you keep saying it wrong. So this gets back <laughs> to what I was saying about etc. It's the fact that you're saying it wrong. That's what bothers me. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's also this oi diphthong before the M. You have ointment, ointment. That's a fun word to say. I sort of like it. <laughs> so maybe there's a, it's just the opposite of word attraction. Yeah, we, maybe we could approach this by giving people word pairs and seeing which one they find more annoying. So it's like if we give them ointment and unguent. <laughs> <laughs> which one of those is more disturbing? Cellar door, or we could give cellar them, door, or slacks. Or we could give them bill or sprule. <laughs> you know, you do have an ooh and that nasty L in there, Bill. <laughs> well, the problem is if you're using written prompts, given the spelling of my last name, what you're actually going to get is everyone looking at the cards and saying, spur, spur, <laughs> spur, spur. <laughs> I think the best test, of course, would be with nonsense words. Oh, of course. Everything is best if you make it into a, uh, a task divorced from actual language. <laughs> you know, Bill, what I think you That's should do more is publish- change, you should change your last name to Cellar Door, Bill, and see if your life improves any. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder, though, whoever said that that was this beautiful phrase or something or claimed that people liked it. Were they using American English or British English? And if it was British English, which one? I do think that's probably the British one, because without that extra R there, right. it's it's better, yeah. Mm. Yes, it is the British pronunciation has been cited variously as an example of word or phrase, which is beautiful purely in terms of its sound. So says Wikipedia, so say we all. Amen.
I can't even, there is no room large enough to hold me and that idea both in it. It's just such a strange thing that Salador is this gorgeous, or even Salador. Salador. It might have been based on who was saying it. I mean, if they're doing a study and this sample happened to be somebody with a really impressive voice, there's that actor that's been in a lot of things recently. What is it? Cumberbund Bandersnatch or something? (laughs) (laughs) He's got a good voice. I mean, true, true. If it were him saying one word and then, you know, Bob Dylan saying another (laughs) one or something, it's like, yeah, that one sounds great. You can divorce the phonetics from the meaning, right? Like we're talking about here by imagining, and this comes to mind because I was just looking and it was actually Tolkien who said that Celador is, is beautiful. If you imagined that he had a realm in Middle Earth that was spelled C-E-L-A-D-O-R, it was called Celador, right? That is kind of pretty sounding. And his mighty sword, Celador, he strode into the woods. Yes. <laughs> yeah, see? So you have to get, you have to get away from that creepy basement vibe. But that would be the version of Salvador that has a squiggly bit over one of the vowels. (laughs) Or two of them, even. The lovely Princess Salvador. Exactly. That's what you'd have to do. See, that doesn't sound bad at all. No. As opposed to the lovely Princess Unguent. (laughs) See, that's just not going to work. Unguentia. With some squiggly bits over the vowels. No, you have to put a diuresis over the E, like unguentia. That makes a it what? <laughs> diuresis. A diuresis. Diuresis. I think it's a diuresis. Diuresis. Let's move on. <laughs> this, could break, this could break up the whole thing, you guys. You can't pronounce that word that way. We, we better you not gotta talk about put it. the metal band dots over the vowel. <laughs> the rock dots. <laughs> rock, the dots. rock dots. Yeah. Yeah. Rock dots. <laughs> yes, we, we have one of those over our band name, over the U in Grubs, so it's Rubes. Put them over the R. What is your band name? We are the Grand Royale Ukulelists of the Black Swamp, Grubs, <laughs> or Grubes, actually. We just basically do it because you got to have that to be a band, and because it's really fun to watch the MCs introduce us and go, Grubes. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you, put those dots over the R, you'll stand out. This is true. Hey, now, ukuleles are unfortunately connected with one of these visceral negative reaction kind of things, but let's don't discuss that on this program. (laughs) This celestial Celador-like instrument, the ukulele. (laughs) Princess Celador played an ukulele, I think, back in the islands. Because she put a curse on Bob Dylan and shrank him down and raised the pitch of his voice and turned it into an instrument. Exactly. (laughs) Perhaps we have strayed a little too far afield. And we should move on. I'm telling on. you, you've not lived until you've heard a little Vivaldi on the ukulele. You know, why don't we Whatever have a theme song? Vivaldi one would hear on a ukulele would be a little. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do stop when they charge the stage and lift us onto their shoulders and carry us out of the, you know, thing. With That is generally. <laughs> when, the, when the applause drowns us out, that is when we generally just say, okay, that's fine. And we stop there. <laughs> All right, perhaps we should move on. I <laughs> know <laughs> oh, you're intimidated by the ukulele. It's okay. I'm, I'm okay. It's all right. All right. So we'll be right back after another word from our sponsors. Language Made Difficult is brought to you by the Speculative Grammarian Essential Guide to Linguistics. No, really, it really does exist. The book is large enough to kill most insects and many rodents and contains more than 150 of the best articles, poems, cartoons, and other things from 25 years of Specgram. 
You can find out more on the web at specgram.com slash book. Okie dokie. Welcome back to Language Made Difficult. It's time for the helter-skelter, topsy-turvy, ling-lang, hurly-burly that is the hodgepodge mishmash of linguistic bric-a-brac and mumbo-jumbo that we call randomata. This segment is chock-a-block with super-duper razzle-dazzle subjects from the nitty-gritty to the artsy-fartsy that are sure to spawn a tip-top mingle-mingle of argy-bargy. So, let's stop dilly-dallying and stir the jibber-jabber in the chit-chat. Let's fast-track our first topic from Hotshot Keith. So I want to give you a little interesting fact from Mongol, which is a uh, Mongolic language of Northwest China. This is kind of a fun language. You've got two sets of finite verb endings, and one of them I call subjective, and it normally occurs with first-person subjects. So I or we, right? The other is objective, and it normally occurs with second or third-person subjects. The subjective means something like the speaker is accepting responsibility for the claim, either because it involved him or herself, or because... The speaker saw the thing personally or has special knowledge that it's true or that he really, really, really hopes it's true or something like that. And the objective normally means something like that's the way it is, independent of me, independent of what I feel about it. So you can say, I came and use the subjective suffix that means I came and I accept responsibility. I did it of my own volition. Or you can say, I came with a different verb suffix. And that means I came, but it wasn't my fault. I was compelled to. So like a teenager could be implying, uh, you know, my mom made me do it. So in Mongwer, you, you got, depending on which of the two verb endings you choose, you can deny responsibility for things that you did. So this is extremely useful. And I think English ought to have this too. That's the first thing I was thinking is that we had talked about things before that we think English should have. This seems useful. Evidentials in general right. are related to that kind of thing. That's right. That's right. This isn't really an evidential, but it no, can no, be used no, that but, way. No, yeah. but it's, I mean, it's the same kind of idea. I don't want to be abstract about this. So Keith, what are these suffixes and where can I purchase them? I need to start using them immediately. <laughs> Well, I would like to recommend that you purchase the book I wrote about it, which is only $200. <laughs> or you could just use them for free. Okay, so the perfective subjective is ba, B-A, and the, the objective perfective is jiang, which we spell J-A-I-A-N-G, jiang. So if you just use ba and jiang, that'll do it for you, free. Oh, cool. So wait, 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 wait. Which, which is which ba? Which is which jiang? How do uh, I do this? Uh, I come ba. So I come ba, like kumbaya, right? I come ba <laughs> means... I came and I accept responsibility, and I come jiang means I came, but it wasn't my fault. So I expect to hear these next time we do lies, damn lies, linguistics, trade, depending <laughs> on whether you think you really want to claim that or not. <laughs> bah. That's what I think, bah. <laughs> that, right? that was the right one, wasn't you it? You know, English is sort of developing yes. something similar with actually and apparently. See, I think people are starting to use apparently, I think we've discussed this before, but people are using apparently to indicate that something isn't necessarily their claim. Right. And then actually is yeah, more yeah. along the lines of, you know, this is what I think this is. So I think we actually already have these. Ooh. Actually, I think we already have these. Yeah, we have lexical forms of it. Uh, apparently so. Ba. <laughs> we have them ba. I like that. But the ba is so much more fun. That's true. <laughs> yeah, ba is good. That's the perfective. You have to pay extra for the imperfectives. And if you think about the actually, people will do it when they are taking personal responsibility or not. It seems to be doing something else. So I could say, actually, I moved the garbage can. Like, you're taking responsibility for it, right? Versus, actually, the garbage can got moved. Where, you can't say that. Yeah, you can. No, that's a conflict. No, I think that I can imagine a scenario where that would work, but it, it would still be a belief, right? Actually is introducing a discourse move that counters somebody else's move. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's different from that's taking true. responsibility for it. One reason the word actually is so annoying 
is that whenever anybody says that, they are kind of positioning themselves as an authority relative to somebody else who has just made a claim. And there is that kind of thing going on. True. But it's more of a on the contrary, comma, kind of move. Yeah. So actually, I don't agree with your theory. <laughs> well, actually, I don't care. And I was going to say that actually, we don't need actually Ba, because we have Ba now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I can say cellar door is an ugly word, Ba. And there it is. Then we're done, right? We, we've called it. It's true. Or we could have combinations. I mean, we could have actually. <laughs> Bah is a suffix. You can't make it into a Versus actually. Actually, bah. Actual bah. Once we borrow, we can do anything we want to it. You can't borrow a suffix as a prefix. Sorry, never happened. This is English. We can do anything we damn well please, and we will, and we have. (laughs) Trey, you forgot your bah. We will, and we We have. We have bah. Bah, we will. Bah, we have. We can still say it's a suffix. (laughs) It just has an attachment transposition. On spell out. <laughs> or it's a suffix to, you know, like, uh, 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 oh, never mind. I'm not even going to talk about traces and that would just make me, that gives me word aversion right there, that kind of syntactic theory stuff. So I can't <laughs> talk about it. Bah. It's bad, bah. Well, I was going to say English doesn't create new suffixes anymore. Now it creates new prefixes, right? Because we've moved from being verb final to verb medial. So you're right. We should borrow it as a prefix. Yeah, it's not like advertisers have recently done anything like adding tastic to the end of words. <laughs> That's compounding. Next topic. Or, oh, no, but, right. you can, but usually they add cran to the front, right? Because it's always cran something. Right. Very. Crantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I am almost completely sure that exists. Yeah, it does. <laughs> oh. I Google it. I did. There's crantastic.org. I don't even know what it is. Oh. <laughs> it's a trade association. No, I think I would say crantastic exists Jiang. I think this is a Jiang situation because <laughs> I don't want to take any responsibility. So just for the record, crantastic is actually for R packages, for the statistical environment R. Yep. All right. It's the repository library. Anyway. <laughs> So that's good because cran remains an opaque morpheme in that case. We don't have to understand what it is, right? <laughs> yeah, because I didn't get any of that. Okay. They said it's something about arr. It's something about pirates, I think, Keith. <laughs> Someone needs to develop the ah programming language just to drive the British crazy. Arr. <laughs> <laughs> that's cruel. Which language did you say you used? Ah, yeah, but which? (laughs) Sorry. I thought this segment was about language facts. Well, that was languagey. That was about dialects and pronunciation. (laughs) It was languagey. Okay. Okay. These are future facts about English. We're just laying it out for people. Hmm. So they know which way to evolve their language in. Go with the flow. All right. I've got a random factoid here. It's a little more editorial, but I don't like the convention of naming phonological mergers after the words that become homophones if your dialect has the merger, because then you sound stupid when you say it, right? So if you have the cot-cot merger and you call it the cot-cot merger, you're just repeating yourself. You have a stutter. This is bad for me because I still have some little bits of my Texas dialect and (laughs) I still have the pin-pen merger. Nice. Good job, Bob. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> but normally it would just be the pin-pin merger, which, what's the big deal about merging two pins? I don't know. There are other ones that have better names. There's the, uh, 
you know, like the father bother merger and the foot goose merger, neither of which I knew very much about. And then there's things that are more descriptive, like the weak vowel merger. That's a good one because it actually says what it is. So the, the cut caught merger could be the low back merger. That would be nice. Anyway, I think this is a semi subtle form of prescriptivism and it, it highlights the absurdity of the merger to those who don't have it. And they say, can you believe they say caught and caught the same and should be more descriptive and less obnoxious? I think this somehow ties back to the intro you gave to this segment, which was a bit incomprehensible, but seemed to emphasize reduplication. And that's what mergers lead to, right? So the pin-pin merger leads to pin-pin, which is reduplication in English. Correct. I think that actually this is just a new kind of morphology arising. The name of the process is actually an attempt at creating reduplication in English by linguists who think there's not enough reduplication, although you've shown that there is. (laughs) Plenty, there's plenty. Well, it doesn't get used as much as it could. I mean, I think I did use a whole year's worth there. <laughs> and I'm yeah, not, you're not I'm allowed not... to use any more for the rest of your life. <laughs> and I'm not sure I had any of that linguistic word aversion thing until I heard argy bargy. <laughs> <laughs> what have you got against argy bargy? It's just nasty. I don't know. I don't even know what it is. It's argy bargy. It's a vigorous discussion. I- I've never heard it before. I think it's an alternate pronunciation of argle bargle. It is, yep. It's related okay. to her. it seems to be because when you first said it, I just assumed it was some kind of Australian dish involving grilled kookaburra or something. <laughs> no, apparently it's British argle bargle. It sounded to me like New Zealand English, but I couldn't recover any meaning, so I just forgot it immediately. <laughs> or, or some kind of cricket play, because there's apparently like eight million of those, and they all have names like that. <laughs> I don't like argle bargle any better than I like argy bargy. <laughs> It's the Argy Bargy's better because it gets rid of those vomitous L's. <laughs> That'd be a really good band name. <laughs> vomitous L's. <laughs> vomitous L's. Yeah, it would. And then you have to specify those have to be valorized L's. They can't be light L's. They can't be replaced with valorization only. Okay, then the dark vomitous L's. Or the vomitous <laughs> dark L's. I, I like dark vomitous L. I think that's better. <laughs> I think Dark L, because it sounds a little bit more like Dark Elves, which gives you a little bit more metal cred, I guess, maybe, in certain circles. But it could be one. It could be the Vomitous Dark L and the Argy Bargies. And the Moist Vomitous Dark Elves. (laughs) No, you just call it the Vomitous Elves. The first album has, you know, the label is even moister. (laughs) Okay, anybody else got uh, a nice little random fact they'd like to share? I just have an observation, which is like a one-off thing. I'm just trying to find the name for it. In the area where I live, there's a river called the Titabwasi, which is, I'm not even sure how to spell it, T-I-T-T-A-B-A-W-S-E-E. When you say that, you end up creating this interesting kind of phonetic sequence. And... It does something to your pronunciation, but I don't know what the term for it is. But if you just try to say it fast, tibawasi, there's this stretch where you're making noises that I'm not sure English speakers normally make. Which stretch? The part where you're heading into the T followed by the B and the the labial. So (laughs) (laughs) See, it's hard to it's hard to isolate there, but it's it's fun to say. <laughs> it sounds dangerous Where to you say. Go? <laughs> so, Tidabwasi? Tidabwasi? Yep. Tidabwasi. 
Tidaboisi. Now just say it fast. Tidaboisi. So you're talking about the B followed by the wah. But the T right before the B. There's like T schwa B. Right. W glide. The schwa almost vanishes and you get kind of a little bit of ejective T with the B folded into the end of it that's labialized. The schwa after the T almost reduces to nothing. And then you do have that weird sort of TBW cluster. Hmm. The Red Hot Chili Peppers had a tune, uh, Give It Away Now. They kept repeating, Give It Away, Give It Away Now. Yep. It kind of operated using the same principle, I think. I mean, that was being used as a form of phonetic play. Yeah. But I don't know what it is. I don't even know if we need a term for it. I just think it's fun and we should have one. <laughs> is it different from just reduction? I mean, it, you sort of have a, a phonetic reduction and then you've got co-articulation effects. Well, it feels like it has the same relation to a reduction that rapids have to a river. Okay. What? The nice thing about analogy is that it doesn't have to be exact, and then you can sit there and attempt to look profound. It doesn't have to mean anything. What he said is perfectly clear and appropriate, bah. (laughs) (laughs) I think what he said was difficult to understand, junk. (laughs) <laughs> or maybe i should say difficult to understand ba i'm not quite sure which one i'll use there keith there you want the ba ba okay it's really difficult ba uh, he should have said it with john involved in the event okay yeah I and you're very it. sure about the unsureness unsureness okay you're involved in this situation oh i don't know that i want to be though <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i'm trying to find a way out it's sort of one of those things that scares me. Like if you say it too many times, your articulators might freeze like that. And then something, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and then all your consonants would become clusters. Or something would turn inside out or I don't know. I don't know. There'd be some kind of flirp. It's some kind of horrible, I don't know what. <laughs> yeah. So I've got another kind of random factoid that should be of interest to linguists. And this has to do with um, borrowing and words that ironically come from other languages, maybe ironic. So we have the word calc in English, which is talks about a kind of borrowing, right? And that word is itself a loan word from French, a borrowed word. And the term loan word in English is a calc of a German word, Lehnwort. And then we have the expression loan translation, which expresses what a calc is. And that is itself a loan translation of the German word, Lehnübersetzung. So somehow this is a great cycle that keeps coming back around to something, to German maybe. But it's kind of interesting that all these words describing loan words are loan words. I was familiar with that fact there, at least the calc and loan word. And I always like the symmetry there. It's kind of elegant. It is. It and is. arbitrary and completely random. <laughs> A random way. Isn't it ironic or pathetic or something that English doesn't, English, which borrows so many words and from so many languages, doesn't have its own word for that? It just Maybe it's ironic that we don't have our own word for it, but it seems like we ought to have a word for it that belongs to us. No, it's perfectly appropriate. It's like, what is this thing we're doing all the time? Oh, wait, they've got a word for it. Let's take theirs. Hold them down. <laughs> Let's take theirs. <laughs> Hold yeah. them down. Beat it out of them. Now it's ours. Bah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's exactly appropriate. Uh, yes. Well, maybe if we had our own word for it, we'd do it less, which would probably be a little bit sad. One of the problems that's here, right. if, if you look at Old English, it used compounding to make up A lot of technical terms. I mean, if you needed a word for something, you just made it as a compound. So when we say that we sort of modeled the word loan word on German, at the same time, that is a word English 
could have easily come up with on its own. It's the kind of thing English does. So I think it's a little harder in some senses to say that's fairly a lone expression in the same way. In calc, it's not like English speakers would go, gee, I need a new word for modeling an English expression on another language. How about calc? That's got a nice sound to it, right? It's got the vomitous L in it anyway. Yeah, it's got a vomitous L and a final K, like you're trying to cough it up, you know, that kind of thing. So, but it's like with loan word, I could easily imagine finding some new evidence that somebody in Old English referred to a foreign borrowing using, you know, something like gift word or something oh, like, you know. Nice. But that's the kind of thing they would do. Yeah, but that's kind of whitewashing the situation. It's not a gift word. <laughs> We're going to ransack your language, sort through your pockets, take everything we want. Thank you for the gift. You're misjudging the Old English meaning of the word give. Is it related to the... Yeah, you know what gift means. In German, yeah. <laughs> well, no, it's not like poisoning or something. But, you know, give me that basically means transfer ownership of it to me. And in Old English, that involves swords and... Uh, well, it could you know, involve voluntary action. <laughs> Have I ever told you guys the gift shop that I found in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania once? It was just priceless. I don't know if, if I've shared this. This was just priceless. It was a little tourist area, right? And it was a little gift shop that was called Das Gifthaus. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were gift, saying priceless is a pun, but... <laughs> yes, so did I. No, anyway... Gift means poison in German, so Das Gifthaus would not really be a good place to shop. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You didn't tell them, did you? I don't think that's something they really wanted to know. Somebody told them because it disappeared. Oh. Or maybe nobody told them and that's why it disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> it involves some kind of covert action at night by bilingual immigrants of some kind. <laughs> well, no, just no, if no one goes to the store because it's the poison house, oh, okay. they're going to go out of business. I think that the name was chosen by some Pennsylvania Dutch with a sense of humor. Uh, yeah. Since you said Pennsylvania Dutch, that reminded me of the fact that the language of the Pennsylvania Dutch is actually related to German, not Dutch. It's not Dutch. I always thought it was really cool how the word for German is different in every language, <laughs> depending on which Germanic tribe was harassing that particular people who spoke that language. And that just stuck, right? So the Germans call themselves Deutsch, and then, because I guess they were the tribe that won during unification. No, it just means they're the people who speak clearly to them. <laughs> that, that's Deutsch. It just means clear. Does it? Oh, okay. Yeah. It's like, what language are you speaking? The clear one. <laughs> the one you understand. That's clearly not true. <laughs> bah. You forgot your bah. Bah. Yeah, exactly. Bah. But no, so the Alemán uh, in French and in Spanish, and then does anybody know why German is German in English? I once knew, but I do not remember. Germania, Germania was the was a Latin name, right? Yep. It must also have referred to a tribe, did it? Right. Or was it a place name? Right. It's from Latin, and then Germani designate a group of tribes in northeastern Gaul. Uh, yeah, northeastern Gaul. And perhaps originally meant noisy. Wow. They're the shouty ones. <laughs> the shout. The shouty ones. There's a lot of fun names like that. So barbarian, right? The right. Barbar, barbar, Roy, or the people that can only say bar, 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 bar. <laughs>
Yeah, I think a lot of the names for Native American tribes come from the neighboring tribe, and they're not all. So the word in English comes from yeah what the neighbors call them, and they're not all very flattering. Mm. Oh, the big-headed people over there. Yeah, sure. The ugly ones, of course. The shouty ones. <laughs> shouty ones. I like the shouty ones. All right. And with that, I think that's all the time we have this time for Language Made Difficult. Join us next time when we'll look at applications of the comparative method in car shopping, mate selection, and contrastive analysis of apples and oranges. Stop breathing. Yeah, I can't stop breathing. <laughs> well, I kind of have a theory that you can either know what you're teaching or when you're teaching it. You can't know both. <laughs> that's Heisenberg, right? I was going to say it's a Heisenberg uncertainty <laughs> professor. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> if you get lost, which wouldn't be too surprising, the last word I'll say will be Keith, and then you'll know it's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go for it. So listen for that. All right. First topic from Hotshot Keith. Okay, I think that's my cue. <laughs> and I just did some checking around, and my etymology for Deutsch was totally wrong. Okay. So edit that out. <laughs> I love that. I love that. No, leave it. That's perfect. Well, I I did not sit there and think about the connection between the consonants in it and Teutonic. Mm. Yeah, it's Teutonic, isn't it? Yeah. We'll fix it in post. All right. <laughs> <laughs> what? We always what? do. Apparently, I'm not quite as prepared as I thought I was. Um. Uh. Oops. Mind blank. Give it away. Give it away. Give it away.